Today's episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast is presented to you on iTunes. Make sure you hit subscribe. Also, please rate and review. Also available on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Also, the Roger Hoover Podcast is proud to be part of the River City Rogue Podcast Network for the best local blogs, vlogs, and podcasts on sports culture and entertainment. Head to RiverCityRogue.com. Bold views from the bold city and beyond. I'm Roger Hoover, and welcome to this episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast. I'm recording this on Tuesday, January 17th, 2017, from my Tuscaloosa, Alabama studios. And it's 2017. This is the first episode of the podcast we have had in the new year. Hope everyone had a very good Christmas holiday and start to the new year as well. Things have been busy, been traveling a lot between Tennessee and Alabama, and now getting ready for some trips to Florida coming up. It's mid-January, so that means we are getting closer and closer to the start of Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp Baseball. And right now, I'm right in the middle of college basketball season in my favorite part of the year as the Alabama Crimson Tide women's basketball team is in SEC play, and it's been off to a very entertaining start for the Crimson Tide, Alabama 2-3 and three in conference play so far. Had a really great win at home against Ole Miss, followed up with a dramatic buzzer-beating win at Missouri. But Alabama is coming off a couple of losses to Kentucky and also to Arkansas. Next up for the Crimson Tide, they'll welcome in unbeaten Mississippi State, the fourth-ranked team in the country, coming up on Thursday night at Coleman Coliseum. I mentioned that Alabama played Kentucky last week in women's basketball, and before the game on Thursday, I had a chance to sit down and catch up with a good friend, Neil Price. He is the radio broadcaster for Kentucky women's basketball, and also later in the year, Kentucky baseball. Serves a variety of different roles for the UK Sports Network, and he and I had a chance to, first of all, just catch up. Uh, We're two guys with similar backgrounds, both of us from East Tennessee, and Neil is somebody I've really looked up to ever since I met him when I was a freshman in college. Uh, just a wonderful role model. He was able to really work his way up, as you'll hear coming up in this interview, from time in middle school and high school where he was able to get involved all the way to junior college and into college and then to a very good career that's taken him to Middle Tennessee and now the University of Kentucky where he is in his 11th year as part of the UK Sports Network. Neil is also interesting because he also has a podcast called Off Mic with Neil Price. He has a lot of interesting guests. He's already talked with Jim Ellis, the play-by-play broadcaster for Mississippi State, also David Crane, who's the voice of the UAB Blazers and previously held the job that I have with Alabama women's basketball, Dave Baker, Dick Gabriel, Tom Leach, the voice of Kentucky Wildcats, and also a really fun conversation with Oscar Combs, a real legend of Kentucky athletics, and also Tom Hart, who does some great work with ESPN and was previously with the Tennessee Smokies. So I encourage everyone to go to neilprice.net and check out his podcast. It's also available on iTunes iTunes. But Neil and I, again, just had a great time catching up, and we also got into some of the craft of play-by-play and what he considers to be good play-by-play, what he's still working on as he continues to grow in his broadcasting career. And I think all of you are going to enjoy this conversation with Neil Price. All right, Neil, how's 2017 off for you? Well, uh, it's busy, and if you're doing basketball, uh, the start of the year, January, February, is always a busy time, and uh, February more so because baseball starts when you get into that if you're in a role like I'm in. But it's been good. Uh, you know, I'm getting to follow a, a different type of Kentucky team than the one I've been following for the better part of the last 11 years in that a lot of new faces, a lot of young kids who are having to play, uh, a few walk-ons that are getting a lot of time, and – while that can create some frustrating times for coaches and for fans with regard to the results, uh, it's kind of exciting to watch it all gel together because you get to see kids grow and develop and it doesn't feel like it's the superstar-driven thing that it has been for a long time with a team like that. So uh, it's had its ups and downs, but uh, for the most part, it has been very interesting to see how coaches have to change to adapt to that how Kentucky's basically changed its entire philosophy to fit the personnel that it has now defensively 
and uh, to see him have you know a, a pretty good degree of success now, just six losses to this point in the year, uh, when a lot of people I thought would have written him off and wouldn't have given him a chance to be this well off, uh, you know, three games into league play. So it, it, the, that's the long answer to say it's it's been good. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is the first week Kentucky's not been ranked in about six years, and you've been with the program for so long. What has it been like for you to watch the rise of Kentucky basketball under Matthew Mitchell? It was on the way up when I got there in 2005 because Mickey DeMoss had been there for two years. Uh, Mickey was an assistant at Tennessee for Coach Summit for a long time, and she, she really breathed life back into a program that had been pretty dormant at that point for about 20 years. And... Uh, then when Mickey decided she wanted to step away for a little bit, uh, Matthew came in. Uh, he was a popular choice among the players on the team at that time. He had been an assistant for Coach DeMoss before, and it didn't go great early. He, he tried to kind of keep that same style that Mickey had, a lot of half-court offense, uh, really tough, hard-nosed defense, and for whatever reason, it didn't fit the personnel. So about two years into it, we had a really small team. Uh, didn't have any size, and Matthew had to completely change how he thought he was going to do things, and they went from playing half-court zone defense and trying to out-rebound people to playing uh, full-court man-to-man because they were athletic. They got a lot of steals. They weren't a great shooting team, but they created a lot of layups and transition points off their defense, and it became really fun to watch because it was a full-court game as opposed to that half-court game. And that really kind of got it rolling. And up until this year, it had been going pretty good. I mean, they've been within a game in the Final Four a few times. Uh, You know, they've been a regular in the NCAA tournament. And and I'll be honest with you, when I took the job, the Kentucky baseball program was not in a great place, nor was the women's basketball program. And my thought was not that it's, oh, oh, it's going to get better. I'm going to go and it's going to be great. It's just you got a chance to work in the league. And you may never get this opportunity again, so you've got to take it. You can't focus on wins and losses. And I was fortunate in that first year that the women's basketball team made the NCAA tournament for the first time in a long time, went to Chicago and played two games in the opening two rounds. And then the following year in 06, the baseball team shared the SEC championship with Alabama, only championship Kentucky's ever won in that sport. And it happened within two years. And you're thinking – Wow. You know, I mean, where did this come from? You know, because my expectation was not there, but all of a sudden you begin to think a little bit differently. You're like, hey, okay, these guys are competing. And now all of a sudden the games you're doing are better games and bigger games and have more attention. And uh, it it really turned into uh, what has been kind of a a dream type scenario. I I could have never imagined that, that 11 years later it would have been as good as it's been so far. And the fan interest is there. I've been to games in Memorial Coliseum, and not only just the nostalgia you feel walking in that building, but the fans are right there on top of the floor, it feels like, and there's a wonderful energy there, and really for baseball as well. I love Memorial Coliseum. I do. It is a a living history deal when you walk in there. You can kind of feel the ghost. You can feel Coach Rupp walking down that (laughs) hallway, you know, and – it's a it's a cool deal to see. It's not the same way it was when it opened. It's it's been modified and changed through the years. I would have loved to have seen it when that balcony in the one end came all the way down to the floor before they built the offices and all the extra locker rooms. But when people come in there, it's still a great environment. It still gets really loud. It's a fun place to watch a game and. What it lacks maybe in modern amenities, it makes up for in character. And I wouldn't trade that for much of anything. Uh, you know, the baseball part of it, Kentucky's a small, intimate ballpark. It, again, not the fanciest place, but it's not so much about the amenities as it is the product. And the one thing I think you could say from John Cohen's time as a coach when I got there in 2005 all the way up through Gary Henderson and now Nick Mangione is that they have always found the type of players that will represent the program well. They work hard. They're they're cut from a different cloth because you have to be a little bit tougher. You have to be a little bit more harder-nosed to play at Kentucky maybe than you do at other places because you face challenges there, whether it's weather, whether it's travel, whatever the case may be. Uh, you're always the underdog. You face challenges there that you don't face at other places, so you have to be different. And it gives them a little bit more of a mystique, I think, than uh, than people realize. 
Well, you mentioned hard-nosed Kentucky baseball players. I got to see one up close the last two years, and shortstop J.T. Riddle, yep. a Kentucky guy himself, and he's really proud of that. not only the fact that he's doing well in minor league baseball, but now a lot of Wildcats are making their way to the minor and major leagues. Yeah, J.T. got a lot of criticism, too, when he left early because a lot of people didn't think he was ready. And, uh, you know, a lot of people criticized his footwork on defense at second base. He has turned into a very good hitter, very consistent hitter. That wasn't always the case in college. So I'm as happy as anyone that he not only has had success, but he's been able to continue to climb the ladder. Because for a lot of guys, you can get into to that high A level and get stuck. It's hard to get to double A. And then if you get to triple A, you get that close, you know, it's tough to do that. Kentucky's had a lot of guys like that who have made it within one level of the bigs. Uh, we had a couple of guys I thought were sure things. Ryan Streeby uh, was a great first baseman, played in 2006, uh, was a junior college transfer. We had him for one year. If there was a sure thing, I thought that was it. Great hitter, excellent defender, seemed to have all the tools, got into AAA with the Tigers, and got stuck behind a guy named Prince Fielder, who was playing first base for Detroit, and then later a guy named Miguel Cabrera. Both and were really good. Both were pretty good <laughs> players and couldn't get traded. You know, that that's the thing about baseball is sometimes the best thing that can happen to a baseball player is to get traded sure. because it opens up another avenue for you. But it just never worked out. It, it just goes to show you that's how tough it is to make it. But it's fun to follow, guys. We've got a lot of arms that are still out there kicking around, uh, guys that are making it uh, that have been great college pitchers that, again, fit that kind of workmanlike, hard-nosed mentality that I told you about earlier. And – a lot of them with the Twins, so I've become a, a part-time Twins fan, keeping up with those guys. We've had some guys with Toronto. Chris Russin was with Chicago. He's with Colorado a little bit. Colin Cowgill's been the, probably the best of the position guys since I've been there, and Colin's been with Oakland. He's been with Arizona. Mm-hmm. He's been with the Mets. He's been with the Indians, and uh, he's going to catch on somewhere. Uh, it's just a matter of time, I think, for him uh, if he can go and somebody will allow him to play every day, he's going to make a good career for himself as a big leaguer. So you're the voice of Kentucky women's basketball, Kentucky baseball, and also assist in the football broadcast. Just what all do you do in Lexington? What do I not do? That might be a better <laughs> question. Uh, and and I, I paraphrase that by saying I, I would lead into that rather by saying this. If you're a young person listening to this and you're trying to get into the business, what I would tell you is learn how to do just a little bit of everything because – that will help you more uh, in in this day and age, I believe, than polish or anything you can do on the air. Uh, that part's very important, but we live in a society now where everybody in the employment business is trying to get the most bang for their buck. So with that being the case, not only do I do the women's basketball and baseball games, host the football pregame show, but I also produce a football broadcast, um, most of us at this level doing women's basketball and baseball are also engineering our own broadcast. So I do a little bit of that in women's basketball and baseball. Um, I help do some of that to a much lesser degree in football, uh, just setting up locker rooms, testing, doing all those things. I'm responsible for maintaining the equipment. So if something goes wrong, I got to be the guy who keeps up with that and gets it shipped off and repaired and make sure everything's in working order. Uh, when we switched rights holders, I was the guy who had to tell them what they had to have to get the thing up and running. So I had to order all the equipment, kind of start it from scratch. Uh, again, just anything that helps the broadcast piece of it go. And then I work with the affiliates on our network just with regard to making sure they know when the broadcasts are. They get schedules every week from me between football, men's basketball, to tell them when we've got a broadcast, what nights, what night are the call-in shows on this week because travel schedules impact those things. Um, it doesn't seem like a huge part of the job. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it's a very important part of the job because we've got 60-plus affiliates now, so you've got to make sure that everybody's on the same page on the same night uh, or you have a big problem. So uh, I don't do a lot of the business end, and I'm thankful for that. Um, I, I let people who are a lot smarter than me worry about money. Uh, but I, I do um, I do a lot of the other things that deal with the operations of it in addition to actually broadcasting games. And it's been uh, it's been fun. It keeps you busy, um, especially during this time of year when you get into those overlaps between football and basketball and basketball and baseball. It's pretty hectic, but you're, you're trading two months for what is a pretty rewarding job for the other ten. And uh, I think it's a pretty fair trade. 
a very rewarding job, and for you, it has been a long journey. You're now, of course, been in Kentucky for a long time, but you are from East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And what was the first spark for you to try and maybe think about broadcasting? Because a lot of us can listen to a broadcast, be fans of listening to games or watching games on TV, but it's another thing to start doing it. I grew up uh, when a guy named Ben Ben Matlock was big on television. Andy Griffith, a great character, and it was what brought him kind of back into the mainstream after a long time. And uh, I had a friend named Justin Brewer whose dad, uh, Gary, was an attorney. And they had this big two-story white farmhouse out on the end of the county. And we went out there and spent some time growing up. And, and I remember thinking, this is a pretty cool place. I'd like to live in a place like this. So I guess I'm going to have to be a lawyer. That's how you get there, right? You know, Gary's a lawyer, so i got to be a lawyer. So <laughs> then I said, that's what I'm going to do. That was in, like, the sixth grade. So that was a really misguided decision, okay? <laughs> and then <clears throat> I can remember riding with Dad one day. Dad had an old 85 Ford Ranger, and we were riding between Morristown and Newport, two towns in East Tennessee. A lot of people listening to this probably never heard of. And <laughs> I, I've been to both. You've been so. to both of them. But um, we're, we're riding uh, in between the two, and we're listening to a Tennessee football game. And John Ward and Bill Anderson are on the radio. And I knew at that point as probably a seventh or eighth grader, I was not going to be an athlete. I wasn't. But this is pretty cool. And this guy gets to go to the games. He tells you what's going on. Okay, I I would enjoy that. And all these people turn on the radio, and they just want to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think I might like to do that. So that planted the seed. And from there, I started doing PA of you know, my middle school's basketball games because all my buddies were players and it was a way for me to hang out with them and get to ride the bus and go to the road games and help out doing something there. When I got into high school, kept doing PA for the high school football and basketball games and baseball games. And on a rare occasion, I might step in and help out on the radio on a road game or something. Um, And then when I was 15 years old, a guy named Richard Price, no relation, was uh, the baseball coach in the AD at the high school. And he made a call uh, to a guy named Mark Ashford, who was a general manager at WCRK, and said, you know, we got a guy over here who we think could help you, and he wants to do it, and we think you ought to talk to him. And I went over and interviewed with Mark uh, for a job that he didn't really have. It was a part-time position, and they put me on the air doing, uh, whether it was a Sunday morning shift, which is where everybody started, <laughs> it seemed like. Uh, I'd fill in for the morning and afternoon drive guys, you know, playing music and, and being a DJ. Um, I'd do some sports uh, when the opportunity presented itself, namely during baseball season. Um, you know, and, and that was kind of the way I got into it and got my feet wet. And then from there, did junior college games for a couple of years at Walter State. Uh, they had two really good teams, uh, a lot of fun to follow. Uh, got to work there, uh, got part of my school paid for, got my entire uh, junior college education paid for and part of uh, – some part-time work at ETSU and then just became time to finish my degree and um, Middle Tennessee had a better program I thought at the time Uh, it seemed like a better fit for me wasn't about where can you go and do games it was about where can you go and get a good education Um, and that seemed a place that that was probably the best in the state at that time within the broadcast journalism part of it so I went and spent uh, two years there as a student finishing up and then stayed for another year uh, working as a graduate assistant in um, media relations and broadcasting and uh, did women's basketball and baseball and sideline reports for football and hosted the pregame and postgame show for football and coaches shows and whatever else they needed me to do. And that opened the door here. I had enough experience and at that point had met enough people along the way who were kind enough to help that it opened the door at Kentucky and uh, 11 years later, here we are. Here we are. Tuscaloosa talking to Coleman Coliseum. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, going back to John Ward a little bit, uh, you know, I grew up listening to him as well and Bob Kessling, but specifically with Ward, he was one of the first guys that I saw, and I got to him a little late. It was around 96, 97, 98 seasons I really got into him. And just I remember when he retired, seeing all the videos about him and just really realizing that, like you, it could be a job. And even then, getting wrapped up in – um, some of the great calls he had and what a great character he was. If you go back and listen to his football and even specifically basketball now, it's amazing how good he was. He was he was outstanding. To me, he was the best. And I, I tell you a funny story about that. 
I interviewed with a guy named Steve Angelusi, who was a general manager at Kentucky in, uh, I think it was February of 2005. And uh, Mike Dodson was the guy who was vice president of broadcast operations for host communications at that time. Mike's still a very good friend, um, mentor. And uh, I remember the question came up in the interview, who were you influenced by? And I said, well, I was fortunate. I grew up listening to the best there ever was. I listened to John Ward. And the room was silent. Because, see, at Kentucky, they had a guy named Kay Wood Ledford. Extremely good. (laughs) And Kay Wood, according to John Ward, was the best there ever was. And I remember thinking at that point, I've cost myself this job. (laughs) No way I'm getting this job now. And uh, turns out I was able to overcome it, uh, (laughs) again, because of someone else's generosity, a phone call or a kind word from somebody in a position to influence. But uh, I thought you know, people fell in love back home with John Ward doing football because Tennessee football was so good. And, of course, he went out on a high note. They won a national Mm -hmm. championship. You can't go out any higher than that. But I thought, to me – and maybe I just listened to more of it because when I was working in radio, I ran the board, the you know, in, in, in the local station for the games. But John Ward doing basketball was just it was it was fantastic. I, I didn't think there was much better than those Wednesday and Saturday evenings or Wednesday night and Saturday afternoons in the wintertime when you would hear him do a Tennessee basketball game. And keep in mind when I was growing up, that wasn't a great time for Tennessee basketball. Right. But uh, it was still fun to listen to him do the game because you could just – his pacing, his rhythm, you could you could feel the ball move. You could understand the pace of the game. Um, and he somehow managed to, to keep things upbeat and, and positive at a time when Tennessee wasn't really great. And uh, they had a couple of great players. Alan Houston was fantastic, but he didn't have any help, you know. And uh, you're, you're sitting here listening to this guy, and it's like – Imagine if they were a good team. <laughs> and, and listen, Bob Kessling is one of my best friends. Bob uh, got me into business. I owe him more than, than I can ever repay him. Same here. He is the, he is the Johnny <laughs> Carson to my David Letterman. I mean, he's the guy I owe everything. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, I, I love him, but I just wondered, what would it have been like? to hear John Ward do one year when Bruce Pearl was coaching at Tennessee wow. when they had those good teams. What would that have been like? <laughs> and, and I think, you know, uh, just just because, you know, John's time when Tennessee was good was Ray Mears, and that was long before my time, you know. But it was, uh, it, it was great to listen to him. And I think early on when I started doing junior college games, if you went back and listened, there was a lot of John Ward in the way I did the game. And uh, that was because I thought that was the best example to follow because he was just so good at it. Well, you mentioned Kentucky folks brought up Kaywood Ledford, and you probably didn't have a chance to catch him live a lot. But as you've kind of gone back and learned the history of Kentucky basketball, you've been able to listen to him a lot and kind of realize, you know, what kind of legend he is. Well, after I told him when I got the job that I thought John Ward was the best there ever was, there was a stack of CDs <laughs> that got left for me on the workbench downstairs, and they were all Kaywood Ledford games. <laughs> said, listen and learn, you know, and uh, – and I did. And listen, here's the thing about Kaywood Ledford. This is, and uh, I worked high school games with a guy named Dan Manley in Kentucky. Uh, Dan explained this better than anybody. So with Kaywood Ledford, it's like going on a roller coaster ride. You know, it kind of creeps out of the station, and the game's just starting, and the action hasn't built, and you're just kind of creeping along, and maybe all of a sudden, you know, things start to build a little bit. So you start climbing that first hill. And then you get to the top, and all of a sudden you drop back down again. Something's telling you. But what he what he was trying to say is that Kaywood, with his inflection and with his technical ability as an announcer, had a great understanding that if you just scream at people all the time, they get burnt out and they get tired. And at, at the end of the day, you know Kentucky's going to play in a given year probably forty games if they get to the national championship. They're going to play thirty plus every year. A dunk's a routine play sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not a spectacular play. You don't have to scream every time somebody throws it down, you know. And and he understood that very well. He also, I think, understood how to communicate with an economy of words. Uh, he he was the best at that that I've ever heard. Uh, plain spoken, uh, you know, very descriptive, but at the same time did it in the fewest amount of words possible because he knew the action was so fast that you couldn't get hung up in that. Um, just looking at pictures of him and talking to other people about it, because you understand, Kaywood Ledford, Kaywood Ledford retired when I was 12, and 
passed before I graduated from college, so I never met him. Been fortunate to work with a lot of people who either worked directly with him or learned from him. Mm-hmm. He dressed to the nines. I mean, he was very professional uh, to be a, an old country boy from Harlan. You know, I mean, he, he was very professional in the way he conducted himself and his appearance in the way he did the games. Um, he did the Final Four. Years Kentucky went in the Final Four. He did the Final Four every year. I mean, I'm thinking that's that's pretty high praise, you know, that here's a guy who, you know, he, he, he not only does it for what is one of the biggest brands, one of the basketball blue bloods, but on the off chance they don't make it, can we pencil you in for this weekend, and can you do two, can you do two games for us? And he did great games there. The New Mex uh, the game in in uh, the game at the pit in New Mexico between NC State yeah. and Houston. Kay Wood Ledford did that game. I had no idea. Yeah, so I mean, it's huh. it's just like look at the respect he was able to build. I think if you're in this business, that's what you hope. Man, could I ever reach a point where I could just have a fraction of that respect that he was able to build over time? And um, you know, I would have loved to have met him. I really would. I would have loved to have picked his brain because I think that uh, he he and John Ward, Jack Crystal, Mississippi State, uh, they were from a different time, but, man, they were so good, so good at what they did. You mentioned from a different time. Now that we're in today's times, we're sitting here already in 2017, do you really feel like for a college and even with the way that radio is changing, a lot of people are going now to just a lot of like online broadcasts, do you still think there's going to be that role at these different schools, specifically in the SEC? Yeah, I don't know how it's going to go in the urban areas. That's the part I, I, I don't know. Um, I think about a guy like David Crane, who I got to know in, in this very building, Coleman mm-hmm. Coliseum. David did the Alabama women's games a while back and been at UAB now for over a decade. But in a city like Birmingham, you got two major universities that are competing for airtime, Alabama and Auburn. Then you got UAB. You got a double A baseball team. You got uh, all this different stuff going on. Uh, I think it's tough in those markets. The, the guys who have those jobs, uh, which are mid majors to a certain degree, even though they're in great cities, they have the biggest challenge of finding a way to keep the games on a terrestrial station when there's so much competition for airtime or rates are so high. Uh, you know, you name it, uh, all the things that can come up with being in a metropolitan area. Um, I think in the SEC, ACC, it's always going to be relevant uh, because there's just such a history. that That's as much part of tradition on a Saturday or during basketball season to a lesser extent as going and tailgating. I mean, people just that, – that's what they've been taught to do from the time that they were young enough to go. We go, we set up the tailgate, we turn the game on. We, we get a little bit of pregame info here. We carry our radio into the stadium. I think it's always going to exist here. Here, to me, is the challenge as we get into a more visual age where everything is on television now. And, and i got a lot of friends who work in TV. I respect that. I don't wish anything ill on them. As radio people, radio broadcasters, we have to find a way now more than ever to give people something that they can't get anywhere else we have to tell better stories we have to uh because the thing that we're we're able to do whether we're working for a school or rights holder whatever we get the ability to travel with the team we're kind of an embedded reporter and we have access to those things once we earn the trust of the people that we're working with coaches and players so we got to do a better job of doing that because what tv gets they get what they believe is unprecedented access and to a degree it is they get a one-on-one meeting with the coach they get a one-on-one meeting with coordinators in football they get to pull over select players whoever they want they've got their pick but they get to do that for maybe an hour they get to do it for maybe 20 minutes uh, at a shoot around or 10 if they're lucky we could do it every day right and they could see that team once an entire year and that's it right we got to find ways in radio to tell better stories to keep ourselves relevant that's what i think because if we just show up and give people what's in the game notes if we just show up and give them what's in the paper if we just show up and regurgitate the same thing every night they don't have any reason to listen you know i mean i don't think being a good broadcaster or being a good announcer technically telling people where the ball is time score all that i don't think that's good enough anymore i think you've got to find a way to improve upon that through storytelling and it's not always easy in basketball because the pace of the game it's easier in baseball but to me that's the challenge that's how you keep people to hang around in a visual age on the radio is that you've got to find some way to give them something they can't get from the other guy 
and all of us are trying to improve each and every broadcast we have, but if we were to go back and listen to one of your calls of a Kentucky basketball game when you first got the job, 05, 06, versus where you are now, what's changed and how have you continued to improve and some things you want to keep improving on? That guy yelled a lot. <laughs> he yelled a whole lot. So he kept the roller coaster going he up. Kept the, he <laughs> stayed on the peak. He didn't come down the valleys very often. Um, yeah, he... Uh, he yelled a lot, um, you know, and and the other thing I think is that it was more was more probably of a dictation than it was a conversation. And Chuck Cooperstein does Dallas Mavericks. Um, I don't know Chuck well, but Chuck's been kind enough to listen to a tape. Um, I know him through a guy named Mike Dodson, who I told you about mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, and 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 Chuck is a guy who I think is truly interested in helping other people. Uh, and when he listened to some basketball I sent to him a few years back, the thing he said to me is, he said, your voice changes because you yell. Okay, fair point. And he said, the other thing you've got to do, and he said, I can't tell you how to do this, but you've got to find a way to be conversational. That is what separates a good broadcaster from a great one. And the greatest guy who ever did it was Vin Scully. He could sit and talk to you, even though he couldn't look you in the eye, he could sit and talk to you just like you were sitting in a room with him. Jack Buck was the same way. The baseball guys, I think, have always been better at that than maybe anybody because the game allows its uh, the game allows for more conversations, more long stories, things you can get into. Um, it's tougher in basketball, but I think I've gotten better at it. Um, I understand what a routine play is now. I understand. When the game calls for a big moment, uh, I hope that I'm better at knowing when to punch the accelerator and when to lay off. Um, You know, those are all things that you just come with feel over time. I don't think that it can happen overnight. But I hope now that as I tell stories coming out of timeouts, as um, I try to draw upon things that have happened earlier in a game, that I do it in such a way that, it's just like I'm sitting on the front row out here and I'm just watching the game with somebody. Hey, you remember what happened, you know, back in the first half? You remember when this happened, Yona? And and you can point back to it in that way rather than just dictating to somebody, here are the facts of what has happened to this point. Facts are important, but how you present those facts maybe is more important, if that makes sense. And how about in baseball? What have you learned about uh, how to call a baseball game? And when you listen back, what do you like to hear? Well, what I like to hear when I listen back to baseball is that you're able to, same thing, not allow a routine play to become something spectacular. Um, I've been fortunate to cross paths with Marty Brenneman a couple times. Marty's a Hall of Famer. He's been doing the Reds since the 70s, you know. And I used to think double plays were a big deal. You know, we played 56 games a year. Mm-hmm. I thought a double play was a big deal. And, and, and Marty told me one time, he said, we do 162 games a year in the majors. That'll happen once a game. It's a routine play. Well, put it in those terms, yeah, I guess it is. So don't get hung up on the – don't try to make the routine spectacular because you wear people out when you do that. Um, same thing with a home run. Uh, a home run is a it can be a spectacular play if it ends the game it's a huge right play moment, yeah. but it can also be something that just comes with the game so I think picking those moments I, I used to have I used to have this cliched home run call and I thought at that time you know I'm I'm doing college games at middle and and then later at Kentucky and I'm like ah this 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 is me this is how I'm going to establish myself and I go back and look at that now and I go man that was so stupid <laughs> why did you do that you know because at the end of the day, everything should be unique. That That's the thing we're trying to do. Each moment should be unique. You shouldn't be trying to cap it with something to make it about yourself because then you take away from the game. Um, and, and I hope I've learned how to do that more, focus more on the game, make it more about the people playing, make it more about the stories within the game. Um, you know, and I think with baseball, the other thing is the way I approach a weekend now. Midweek games, you don't play too many teams back-to-back in the middle of the week anymore. It used to be you'd play the same team two days in a row. You don't do that much anymore. So now I look at a weekend in the SEC as, okay, this is a 27-inning game. Right. It's not a nine-inning game. It's not three different games. This is one 27-inning game. And my job is to talk about, first of all, how does it impact this game? How does it impact the series to this point? And then what's the bigger picture? 
Uh, and if I've got some great notes on players as they come up and I can weave those stories in, then that's gravy. Um, because I think that's the stuff, again, that sets you apart from what they get on television. What frustrates me about watching baseball on TV, especially in college, not so much at a pro level, but in college, there's just a lot of dead air. You know, and I'm not saying talk for the sake of talking because I get the medium's different. But you can tell me something about somebody. You know, you don't have to tell me what position. You don't have to tell me how he's lined up. You don't have to tell me any of that stuff. That's for the radio guy. But surely you can tell me something. You know, just, you know, where, where is he from? Anything significant about that town? Tom Hart is a buddy of mine. Tom's done really well for himself. Worked his way up through minor league baseball, and he's working for ESPN now. And Tom said, I'm a naturally curious person. And by being naturally curious sometimes and digging a little bit deeper, you might find something great. I'll have a note in a game. What was what was one the other night? Um, we were playing playing Radford, so you'll find some players occasionally that there's just nothing. Maybe they haven't played much. There's nothing there. Um, so, well, this kid's from a town in Georgia. I wonder if anybody anybody's from there. So you just the internet's a great thing. Type it in and. Nobody famous is from there, but you know what? They did all the principal photography for Smokey and the Bandit in that town. <laughs> so she got to the foul line, sure enough, late yeah. in the game. I got nothing to talk about. And I said, okay, so she's from wherever in Georgia. And I said, you remember the movie Smokey and the Bandit? Well, they did all the principal photography for the first one there. You imagine Burt Reynolds driving around in that black T-Bird, you know, and Jerry <laughs> Reed coming along in the 18-wheeler. And I said, I'll, I also wonder if this is where Buford T. Justice stopped off at Choking Puke and ordered the the Dr. Pepper and the Diablo sandwich and make it make it snappy because I'm in a hurry, you know. But you can have fun with it. And I right. think part of what we do, it should be about facts. It should be about how you present those facts. It should be predominantly about the game. But it's also got to be a little bit entertaining, you know, because not every game's the greatest game ever. Some nights it's a 20-point blowout, right. and you've got to find a way to keep it going, you know, and that's when those things come in handy. And by being naturally curious, like Tom Hart said, you can find some of those things. And like you said, I mean, probably no one, you probably don't even remember if she made the free throws or not, but someone might remember the Smokey and the Bandit reference you made on the air. Somebody might. Somebody, <laughs> might, somebody might also say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What's that doing here, you know? And that that's... That's part of it. It's it's a very subjective business. What we do is very subjective. So Well, you mentioned Tom Hart. You had a great conversation with him as part of this podcast series you've started, and that's a big reason why I wanted to talk to you today. Uh, off the mic with Neil Price. Tell us about it. This was a summer project, and it's not consistent. Um, you know, I... I I was a, I mentioned David Letterman earlier. I was a big David Letterman fan. I was a huge Johnny Carson fan. I caught Carson on the tail end. But David Letterman started talking to Jerry Seinfeld about comedians in cars getting coffee, which was a huge video uh, series that, that Seinfeld did. And one of the things that Jerry Seinfeld told him in the interview was, he said, the thing I love about this is that I don't have to do it every day. I can do it when I want to. It can be about what I want it to be about. I can talk to whoever I want to. And that's the beauty of it. It doesn't have to fit within the constraints of television. This didn't have to fit within the constraints of radio. If it was particularly interesting one day, it could be an hour. If it wasn't so interesting or if you just felt like maybe you were wearing people out with an hour, you can make it a half hour. Um, if you didn't have that much time, you know, you could make it work. And uh, that, that's the part that, that intrigued me about it is, okay, I can go do something that I enjoy. I don't have to be tied to the schedule. Uh, and I can talk to people that I really want to talk to. And the the great thing about this industry is that you, you cross paths with a lot of people. And as you work through the same league for several years, you get to know a lot of them pretty good. And it's easy to pick up the phone and, and call and go, hey, would you do this? You know, would you be interested in doing it? Not everybody is, but some are. And uh, And we just talk. We just talk about the business. We talk about places we like to work, places that... Uh, have special meaning to us. Um, Jim Ellis has become a good friend through the years at Mississippi State. Jim worked with Jack Crystal for a long time. Jack did the games 56 years. Now, Jim didn't work with him all 56. <laughs> I mean, let me make that real clear. I don't want to date Jim. But um, but but I asked Jim uh, at, the end of, uh, at the end of our time together, uh, I said, can you give me one or two good Jack Crystal stories? And <laughs> he gave me one about – Jack walking through the airport 
uh, in Atlanta in the days when teams still flew commercial. And he says, uh, here come all these guys, 6'10 and above, and they're walking through the Atlanta airport, and they've got matching warm-ups on, you know, and here's Jack at the back with his briefcase and his jacket over his shoulder, you know. And this lady walks up, and she goes, uh, excuse me, sir, is this a basketball team? And State was having a bad year. Jack turns around. He goes, no, ma'am, but they sure hope to be by the end of the season, you know. And I'm like, that, that's just that's perfect. That's, yeah. that's just golden, <laughs> you know. Where else can you get that, you know? And that, and if anybody knew Jack Crystal, you knew that was Jack. I mean, that's just he had the, the old cantankerous attitude. That was Jack. But um, it, I love that stuff. I mean, we we can all sit and talk about what makes you good, how you can get better. We can do all that stuff. The experiences to me are what make it so much fun, and I've enjoyed that. Um, I, I do regret it hasn't been a little more consistent. Um, I look at some guys who are doing similar podcasts, and I admire them because they're able to crank out something every week. And I should have stuck to the plan where I said it was going to be like the midseason replacement on television. I'm going to do eight weeks here, and then – I'm gone for a while because I got work and I got a life and I'm going to do this. And then I may be back next summer for eight more weeks. And <laughs> I think going forward, uh, that's what it's going to turn into. I've got one more in the can. Um, I mentioned Chuck Cooperstein. And when basketball settles just a little bit, uh, I'll have time to get the finishing touches put on that. And we'll release that one to everybody, um, which is really great. Chuck talks about a lot of great stuff. And then, um, and then it'll probably go away again for a while. And, it's just because, not because I don't enjoy doing it, not because I don't uh, get a kick out of doing it. It's just because you've got to focus on what pays the bills and what you got going on. And, and for me, that's basketball and baseball. And we talk about February being a tough month, and we're just a couple weeks away from that. And uh, it's, it's going to become time where I've got to really focus on doing, you know, five or seven games a week. And uh, it's not easy to work a whole lot else in when you're doing that, trying to do it at a high level. So, but I've enjoyed it. I really have. Um, it's amazing, you know, and you've probably experienced this too. And folks, listen, uh, you probably listen to a bunch of these now. And uh, everybody, it seems like they're, they're more about broadcasting. Now, not everybody. Everybody doesn't have one, but there are a lot of them out there, and there are a lot of them that are really, really good. Um, you know, I don't know that mine's really, really good, uh, <laughs> but on occasion it might be a nice break uh, to sit and listen to people and uh, just have a good time talking. Well, let me say, I think it is very good. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm not someone that really grew up around knowing much about Kentucky athletics, but uh, some of the guests you had early on, especially Oscar Combs, I could listen to you and Oscar speak for probably three more hours. Oscar and I speak about three hours a week at lunch. That's what we do. I mean, it's uh, – and, and here's the thing, you know, sometimes you get – you have these odd couples in life. Um, Oscar, I think – I don't want to misdate Oscar, but I leave Oscar 71 or 72 – and I'll be 37 this year. And I consider him to be one of my, my dearest friends. Not what you'd see in a, in a lot of normal circumstances, but Oscar can talk about anything and talk about it pretty well. And he and I did pregame shows together, you know, when he was part of the network. And and he is, in, in a lot of respects, uh, one of the few remaining links to a lot of history. I mean, this is a guy who goes back to Adolph Rupp, who knew him well, who knew Joe B. Hall very well, who knew Eddie Sutton very well, who has known every basketball coach at Kentucky and most of the football coaches very well. And he comes from the mountains. Uh, I married a girl from the mountains, uh, you know, so we have that in common in terms of we can talk about eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky and East Tennessee are not a whole lot different in terms of the people. Um, you know, we're just good down-home folks uh, that are all trying to make it. And, uh, you know, we, we have a lot in common. We're kindred spirits in that regard. And, uh that was an easy one because, you know, but, but what I admired about Oscar is here's the guy, he's in his 70s now. By the time he was 29 years old, he owned three newspapers. 29. 29 yeah. If you would have told me, or if you would have said to me, hey, how would you like to own three newspapers at age 29? I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, I'm just thinking all the responsibility that could come with that. It's crazy. And um, he did it. I, I think it's great. And he explained how he did it, and he never flinched the whole time. It's it's great, you know. And he'll tell you all this stuff about, you know, great memories he had, how he started the Cat's Paws, uh, which was one of the more popular. Before Rivals, before all these recruiting websites and all this stuff, you had these papers. You had the Cat's Paws at Kentucky. You had Dogs Bite at Mississippi State. You had 
um, papers all over the place, um, you know, and, and he'll tell you how he started all those ideas too. Really, really creative, uh, really, really um, big-time thinker. Really thinks outside the box on a lot of stuff and uh, just a, a great human being on top of that. Uh, Dave Baker, anybody that lives in the South knows Dave Baker. Um, but Dave's a guy who, who I, the thing I wanted to talk to him about more so than the Kentucky stuff, which he can talk about with, with you know, a lot of, of, of authority because he's been around it for mm-hmm. a long time. But Dave worked for Jefferson Pilot and later Lincoln Financial and Raycom. And I used to think growing up, listen, that was the deal. ESPN's yeah. great, but if you lived in this part of the world, <laughs> those guys were the authority on SEC football and basketball because they were there every Saturday, every Wednesday, and every Saturday during the wintertime, and nobody on TV. They're not going to put anybody on. I have a great deal of respect for the SEC network. They're doing good work. But Tom and Larry were the greatest. They I'm were. sorry. It was They fun. can't put anybody on a men's basketball game on <laughs> top Tom and Larry. I'm sorry. Then you have all the Daves and football. The touchdown gets scored, and right as you're going to break, the shiny white shadow yep. <laughs> filter put on as yep. the guy goes across the end zone. That was a lot of fun. Again, it was a different time, right. but you could tell those guys were having a good time. And it was professional, you know, but at the same time, it was um, it was, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it was – you knew those guys. You knew it was the same crews. They kept everybody together. There was continuity. You felt like you knew them. And when they went away, you were sad about it. Very sad about it. So, well, you share a lot of broadcasting stories on your own podcast. And as we kind of wrap this up, uh, you mentioned before to anyone younger that's maybe in high school or in college, just thinking about getting into really anything in broadcasting, whether it's play-by-play on the radio, like you and I do, or something in TV, uh, sports anchoring, things like that. Just what's your advice to kind of maximize the time they have in high school and college? Because you mentioned you were able to do a lot in high school where it really started for you, and then you had a game plan going into college. I, I think. It, it all comes down to you, you've you got to be willing, number one, to tell people that you want to do it. Uh, you can't assume that everybody will know that. Uh, when I started doing PA for basketball games in middle school, it was it was a scary conversation at that point in time, but it was walking up to the principal and saying, hey, I want to try this. And having a guy who understood and had a real interest in wanting me to have a, a career, a guy named Glenn Knipe, who said, uh, yeah, we'll let you try that. Let's try it one day and see how it goes. And if you do good, maybe we'll do it again, you know. And it turned into two years of doing that. Um, and then him telling the guy who was the principal of the high school, Jerry Williams, hey, we've got a kid who does this, and he might be able to do it or might be willing to do it when he gets there if you want somebody to. And it turned into four more years of that. And I told you about Richard Price picking up the phone and calling Mark Ashford at the radio station. You have to just start telling people you're interested and you want to do it. That's the first step. Then once you get that opportunity, just try to do the very best that you can. Um, I'm not going to tell you that when I was in the seventh grade and I walked in here and introduced the starting lineup for a game, you know, between Eastridge and Hancock County, that uh, I was great at it. I don't think I was, um, you know. I'm not going to tell you in 2005 when I put on a microphone for Kentucky for the first time that I was very good at it. And I might not tell you that I'm very good at it right now, depending <laughs> on what day. I feel a lot better about it now than I did. But it's, uh, you know, that that's the thing. Let people know that you want to do it. Then when you get the opportunity, run with it. Do the very best that you can, and then look for the next one. Um, and be creative about it. You know, I had a real hard time early on, and I still do telling people no. But... Listen, I did uh, I did three high school games last week, and it was because I wanted to help um, because people had been good to me and they needed the help. They were in a spot. Um, but you can't ever get to a point where you say, oh, that's beneath me. No, I, I'm not going to do that. I've, I've, I've gone past that point. You can't do that because that's the stuff that tarnishes your reputation. That's the stuff that, tell, that lets people know this guy's hard to deal with. You know, don't, don't be that way. And, and – always just always try to to find those opportunities create those opportunities in the day and age of the internet there's more of it out there now than there's ever been you know everybody's got a podcast everybody look at minor league baseball everybody's games are on some form of radio or internet or whatever no reason in high school that you can't do that i wish high schools taught more of this it's not taught in every city but i wish that opportunity was there 
where people could do that. Um, you know, that, that that's what I wish uh, kids had were more opportunities. And sometimes you got to go out and create them. But anybody, anybody can do it. You just got to work at it and want to be good at it. Uh, I believe that. And uh, it's my wish for anybody who's listening that wants to do this because it's great fun. Uh, it, it sure beats what my dad did for 35 years working in a factory. It sure beats that. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you just got to go into it with the right attitude, the right frame of mind, be willing to adapt, um, and just look for that opportunity or create that opportunity for yourself and make the most of it. Well, Neil, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. And, again, I advise everyone to check out your podcast, Off the Mic with Neil Price. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, a lot of different places. But just thank you for joining us, and you've been great to help me out. Uh, you saw me when I was a freshman at the University yeah. of Tennessee, and we've been friends ever since. So just really thank you for all your help over the years and really enjoyed talking with well, you. Well, we're, we're happy for your success uh, and, and you know, thrilled that you're getting to go through some of the, th- the same things that I got to go through at one point in my career that you're continuing to trend in the right direction, you're moving forward. And, uh, you know, I think this, again, another example here of how you found something that you think is something you enjoy, that others will benefit from, and you've created your own opportunity by simply putting this together. And uh, I wish you all the success with this and and with basketball and uh, when baseball starts again. And and thank you for letting me be just a very small part of it. Absolutely. You're always welcome in the broadcast booth of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. But thank you, Neil. Thanks, Roger. Fun to catch up with Neil, a great guy, and again, somebody that has been a huge help to me throughout my career, and a lot of times just being a sounding board when I have different decisions, and he has been perfect each and every time I've needed something. So best of luck to the Kentucky Wildcats and Neil coming up, and I know he's excited for baseball to be underway in the Bluegrass State coming up in just about a month when we will have college baseball once again. Today is January 17th, a very special day for me because this is my father's birthday, so a big happy birthday wish to Roger Charles Hoover. Hope he's doing well. Had a conversation with him earlier today on the phone from Kingsport. And interestingly enough, tomorrow is my mom's birthday, so happy birthday to Susan Hoover. And I know those two are having a good time uh, back home in Kingsport, Tennessee, but always like to wish the parents happy birthday. It was always very easy for me growing up, getting ready for Christmas, getting presents from my mom and dad, and then having having a few leftover in January to give them as well for their birthdays. But happy birthday to dad today and mom tomorrow. Hope both of them are doing well. As I mentioned earlier, Alabama women's basketball getting ready to take on Mississippi State on Thursday. Then it's a trip to Ole Miss coming up on Sunday. We get to see the brand new pavilion at Ole Miss for the very first time for Crimson Tide women's basketball. Then after that, I've got a trip up coming to Florida, going to see the Jumbo Shrimp offices and check in on a few things as we are getting, again, closer and closer to the start of baseball season, and you know that makes me very, very happy. But I've got to run, but thanks again for listening to the podcast. Again, I appreciate Neil Price for giving us a lot of time last week. Hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time play the waltz Roy I remember the night and the Tennessee waltz only you know how much I have lost yes I lost my little darling the night they were playing that beautiful